From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Uh, this week we are talking mermaids, a 90s set slasher, a 70s set slasher, and then we embrace the nightmare. Oh boy, who do we? <laughs> do, did we want to embrace the nightmare? Uh, that is a little bit up for interpretation, but... Oh, maybe not. Um, we also have, like, I mean, the cat's out of the bag, Mary Beth. We did something pretty fucking awesome. We did do something pretty fucking awesome. We you- we have done a commentary track for Second Sight Films' upcoming Blu-ray special edition release of Paranormal Activity. Yeah! Ah! We did a super awesome commentary track where we talk about found footage and sound pretty smart and also funny at the same time. The perfect combination. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more of what you kind of get here, except in a much more directed sort of manner. We we talked about post 9-11. We talked about found footage. We talked about how Micah much I'm attracted to Micah, even though he is a <laughs> dick. Is a dick. 
can pre-order that over on Second Sight Films' website. Please do. Make us seem cooler than we are. Yeah. <laughs> Go pre-order that shit. We'll include a, a, a link down in the... I am pointing downward as if this is a YouTube video. <laughs> um, we'll include it in the, the, the show notes so you can go take a look at the, at the Blu-ray. Awesome. We're so cool, Terry. Wow. That's so cool. I'm pretty excited. And that, listeners, it was so hard for me to not talk about this for the last, <laughs> like, we recorded it, what, back in May, I think? Was it so, really? I think it was May. I think it was, like, towards the middle of May. So it's been... It has been We've been, been holding on to this for, like, about two-ish months since we found out about it. That's a long time for something when I'm head. excited. I'm so <laughs> bad at keeping excited secrets. I'm good at keeping all sorts of secrets, except for if I'm excited for you. Then I'm like, ah, I want to tell you. <laughs> incredible all right so that stuff aside what about this mermaids what mermaids so i watched a film called scales um it is a saudi arabian uh magical realism film directed by uh first time director shahad amin and it is a film about a dystopian society in saudi arabia that has this really weird relationship with sea maidens that live off the coast. They, every family has to sacrifice a daughter to the sea maidens. And in return, the men of the village can fish and kill the sea maidens for food. So it's this very weird cycle and relationship of like women and men and this kind of power dynamic. And a young girl is rescued by her father from being sacrificed. So she's been touched by a sea maiden. So she starts turning into one. She has like, starts growing scales in her feet and they think she's cursed. And it's all about her kind of like figuring out her identity as a woman who is shunned and isn't, mm. isn't just human or sea maiden. And it's this really, it's in, it's um, shot in black and white. Well, it was shot in color. And then they ended up, um, converting it to black and white in post-production because it feels much more timeless and kind of oh. like ethereal. But the lore that she, um, that Amin creates with the film is really, really cool along, around like a lot around mermaids. And, you know, we've seen a lot of movies like blew my mind mm. and um, the lure. And there's another one that I forgot, like the like mermaid coming of age stories. So this kind of takes that, tradition and filters it through a Nick Arabian folklore lens Ooh. in a really fascinating way. Yeah. So it um it's out this week actually. So okay. you should check it out. Uh, I think you should just be a VOD. So highly recommend it's 75 minutes. It's pretty short. It's really beautiful and it's really cool mermaids in a way that you haven't seen them before, which I love because sometimes you feel like how can you continue to like innovate upon the mermaid? So it's really cool to see that. Cool. I'm glad to hear that because I the, the, I did see the PR email about it and I just didn't have time to request it. So I'm I'm excited. I'm going to add that to my list to watch. Yeah, I actually spoke to the director for Roger Ebert and got to talk oh. to her a little bit about that. So that interview should be up now. But she she's like the coolest woman, and she's really she's she's actually directed a couple other short films about mermaids set in this okay. kind of dystopian landscape where women don't have autonomy over their bodies and kind of what it means for them to navigate that at a young age. And she is really, really cool and really, really smart. And so, yeah, that should be awesome. And that made me like the movie even more because she was just like a joy to speak with. (laughs) Anywho, what's the set? What's the 70s set slasher? I think I know what this is, but like... (laughs) Before we get to that, maybe we should start off with your 90s set. Oh, that's true. 
So I did watch Fear Street Part 1 in okay. 1994. I loved it so much. Wasn't it fun? It's so fun. I'm currently writing an article ranking all of the needle drops from the film <laughs> because I love it. Um, it is and a there's joy. a lot. There's 19. <laughs> there's a lot of them. There, I mean, like, you know, it, depending on like your your your... Depending on how much you like them, that's not the word I was looking for. We're going to go with that. Depending on how much you like them, they're either going to be too much or you're going to love them. But I was erring on the side of I love 90s music and these are like all like great alt rock little drops for me. It just it reminded me it was such a throwback to those movies, like to the movies, like the rom-coms of Mm -hmm. the 90s and early 2000s that had like tons of needle drops. And it's not like supposed to be like nostalgic. It's just the set like that regular like bomb ass soundtrack so mm-hmm. and that also felt like all of it just felt very like homage and nostalgic i did not even recognize maya hawk at the beginning like i knew it was her but i was like, confused at first but that was an amazing cold open i love that cold open and the way it kind of subverts that that scream expectation where she does pull off the mask and it is a reveal that we get to see that killer <sighs> in the cold open it's so and good like, yes that's great it was a great little moment well, I'm like I really like I was I was I was very interested to see how they are going to connect all three of these movies, and I'm very excited to see how they're like. I know you'll probably touch on this in a bit, but like how they're connecting all three of them. And I did look up; they are based very very loosely on I don't the other ones in my room, but the the Fear Street Saga trilogy, my three favorite Fear Street books of all time. They are like the very loose adaptation okay. for that. Um, like very very loose but yeah so was i right did you gasp at that one death towards the (gasps) end oh my god i felt so betrayed i loved it so good it's so mean i love it i love how mean this movie is and how it's also meant for teens Mm -hmm. and it's incredible like i do love incredible sorry go ahead no i was just saying it's incredible (laughs) i do i do love the fact that it's sort of it kind of plays with that expectation where we go into that third act and we are convinced, Oh, these kids are going to make it out alive. Yep. And then it's like ruthless. It, it, it hurt. It did. It was so quick. Cause it was like her and then him. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my God, what the fuck? I loved Simon. Uh, He was, yeah, I, (laughs) I loved him. I thought he was, I I just, I think I was a little bit weird. I guess I was like quasi weirded out in the scene where like everyone was making out and then he's jerking off in the bathroom. I loved it. I loved it. So and I just loved it. He's like, oh, did you, could you guys go to Pound Town? So did I. So did I. Like so <laughs> I like, weird. I just loved it. It's so, so funny to me. It's just like really, I don't it know. him that, and It's got that like very, like that sex comedy twinge to it. Yeah. That's really funny. That's like not too well, over the top but it is, is over the top and it's like i i see kind of what you're going for here what i also loved is that he you know okay this this movie kind of reminded me a little bit of like a cw type feel to Ooh, it in okay. terms of except you have the the main male character he is not like he's not kj appa he's not archie he's not like ripped for days he has a little pudgy tummy and he's hairy and i love yeah. that because he's like it just felt more real. And I love that for half the movie, he's like pretty much wearing like almost a woman's sweater. That's like, 
you know and i'm just i just i don't know i just i love that character so much the sweater i'm currently wearing reminds me of his sweater mm-hmm. <laughs> i just loved it yeah he is a, i liked some people have said some things about not liking the character like not finding them relatable but i'm like i think they're sweet dopey high schoolers and i love them like i, I just think they're so sweet and silly and and, and endearing <laughs> I mean, I've heard people talk about Dina being surly, but uh, excuse me, uh, as someone that grew up in the 90s, she is any alt girl, social outcast from the 80s, from the 90s that I ever knew. She like fit that to a T and it felt it was very endearing to me. I was like, yes, I knew people just like this. They might not have been as open about their sexuality in the 90s because it was the 90s and this was a little bit of a... I would say almost a little bit kind of fairy tale-ish as, as in, in, in relation to the queerness. I mean, I guess only like her friends knew in particular, but like I was fine with that, but she is definitely any alt rock riot girl lover from the, from the nineties that I ever knew. See, I, I know that I get the reality of like them being queer at that time period, but I was just very excited to see like a, a relatively positive like queer mm-hmm. relationship on screen that wasn't like completely and utterly just like chastised because it was then I don't know. It was just nice to like have like that positive air and it mm-hmm. be just like a regular teen like a nineties teen comedy with that queerness in it without mm-hmm. having to like I don't know, having that it has that fairy tale quality to it. Which you know what? Sometimes I want to see little queer fairy tales absolutely God damn it <laughs> i'm done with queer suffering give me queer joy i just want some queer joy and yeah this is like kind of sad but it's like it's not joy but it's not super tragedy either yeah no. yeah i'm well, assuming well, well, it's not going to hopefully, be hopefully hopefully that <laughs> is hopefully they don't like fingers crossed nosedive, but <laughs> but okay so that leads to your 70 set slasher which mm-hmm. i am assuming is fear street part two no. 1978? Oh, no? Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> no? No, it absolutely is. And, okay, I don't think this one is as good as 1994. Okay. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. I've I seen think, both reactions on Twitter so far. From have like you? Early, yeah. I knew that, I know that, we're recording on Wednesday, I know that all the, the embargoes are finally up. My review's mm-hmm. not out yet, because I just haven't had time. But, like, <laughs> yeah, so I haven't, I haven't seen anyone else's reaction to it, so I'm, I... I'm 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 not surprised that there's kind of a mixed reaction. I I think this one is is fine. It's it starts off in the in the 90s. It starts off kind of where the last one ended with with the, the brother and the sister going to find C Berman, who is the only survivor of the 1978 Camp Nightwing massacre, and they go find her. She's played by Jillian Jacobs. Love her. And she starts to tell the story about 1978 and saying that, you know, within a week, her sister is dead. And so we follow the the Berman sisters, Ziggy and Cindy, as they are like at the camp and then hijinks ensue. Uh, they kind of class uh, society issues of, of 1994 also exist, in, exist here where it's like the shady side versus the sunny veil. And there's a they call it a color war, which I think is kind of a oh okay yeah 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 weird terminology, but like so they they they're they're fighting each other. It's capture the flag. It's like a night to of that kind of stuff, and then one of the people gets possessed, 
sort of like in 1994 and goes on a killing spree. Love that they kill kids. All, all, all the deaths are pretty much off screen for them, unfortunately. So they do kind of pull the punches on that. It's there's some interesting things here. I just don't think the story is as strong or as surprising or subversive as the first one. Okay. But um, it does deepen the mystery about this witch and the, the town history. And it was, it was a fun time. It was fun. I think it was a little long, mostly because it's, it's capped on both ends by the 1994 stuff. So okay. it does feel like it takes a little bit to get going. Okay. And then it kind of overstays its welcome a little bit. But um, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, Did they have a teaser for 1666 at the end and there, of it? Okay. There is a teaser at the very end for 1666, which I think is going to be really good. I'm so. very excited for 1666. Because yeah. if it's anything like the books, it's going to be bananas. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm excited for people to watch this. Um, I love that we have just gotten a big horror event in the middle of July. Like, that's yeah. amazing. And it's I, cool as fuck. People were talking about it, whether it was negative or positive. People were talking about this movie all weekend on Twitter. So I this is, I think this is great. And I really hope I really hope they a can bring it together next week for the the finale. And b I hope that they decide to do more of these. Maybe get another creative director and spawn another trilogy of films or something because i just this was a lot of fun for me this was yeah it was so fun and like obviously there's the appetite for it so Mm -hmm. i'm so excited oh so cool and i love that you enjoyed the first one because i know that you have read the books and see i had like no connection to it so this is like both sides of either a people that have read it and have connection and b people that have absolutely no nostalgia for the books they just had like so many cool little like like at the beginning when when they're filming the bookstore, like those are all covers of Fear Street books. And like I wondered. Had, they're all covers, yeah. And like a lot of the, like the Sarah Fear stuff is in these books that I just have sitting next to me all the time. <laughs> but the the trilogy, like the the Fear Street saga trilogy, like it's following that kind of like that mythos. Um so I'm very curious like the, the trilogy has a lot to do with sixteen sixty six. So I'm very curious to see how they handle that one. I'm very, very excited. Awesome. For it, and it's I don't know. It's just been an incredible because like I love Fear Street, and I think Fear Street is finally. And Fear Street, I think, is was always that kind of gap between goosebumps and and like horror for me and mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And it's really great to see it being appreciated now and used in that similar way of like having teen horror that's also really good and violent. Like it's reminding me of like the eight like eighty slashers and things like that, which is really exciting to have for like this time around and seeing what those slashers look like. In the 2020s. Uh, On that note. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of slashers. What did, uh, what remake did we, did we watch this week? Well, um, we watched the 2010 remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street and boy, oh boy, did I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I really didn't like it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's start in the positive. This has a great cast. It does. Um. <laughs> I don't think they're. Are they good very at what they're doing? It? <laughs> it's a cool cast, but are they good at what they're doing in this movie? Absolutely. On paper, not. 
on paper, this cast should be aces. You have Kyle Gallner, you have Rooney Mara, you have Katie Cassidy, you have Thomas Decker, you have Kellen Lutz, you have Clancy Brown, you have Connie Britton, you have Jackie Earl Har- Haley, who... Like, it's a stacked cast. It's so stacked. And it's all terrible. They're so... Yeah. So... So let's just let's just start at the beginning here. I thought that I started the movie halfway through when it started. I had no, it like just fucking dumps you right in immediately. Like, and I was like, wait, did I do something wrong? <laughs> nope. That's the beginning of the movie, and it. You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> the movie might have. It just starts. With no context, and it just keeps g- going. <laughs> I don't even okay. know how to describe it. So, I watched this in the movie theater and left incredibly <laughs> angry. Yeah. Incredibly angry. I, I would, too. We're now 11 years later, and this is the first time that I have seen this movie since the movie theater. And to evoke, for me watching this now, which is a different experience than your first time watching this. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Because I actually really like this opening scene initially. The the shot of the diner, and it's giving me this sort of like neon noir feeling. I was like, oh, this is very visually exciting. I thought Kellen at the table is like, okay, this is kind of cool. I like it, that it, he kind of walks into the, follows the the waitress into the back, and then all of a sudden we are in a sort of nightmarish place where, like, the food is now pigs. And there's, like, you know, that kind of imagery that I would expect to see in a kind of nightmarish film. And then he leaves, and then all of a sudden we have more cast that's being introduced in this early stage. And I'm like, no, stick with this guy. You have just built an interesting little tense-filled moment. And then you ruin it by switching to Quentin and switching to this guy that's like, oh, this girl's talking to the, ge- the the guy or this guy. This girl's talking to this guy, and I love the girl and we used to date. And I'm like, no, I don't care about any of this. Go back to this dumb kid that is staying awake. I want to know more about that. And it just ruins it. And I think the problem with this film is that every time it tries to introduce something interesting, it falls over itself, or it immediately like erases that goodwill. Yep, immediately. 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 Micro naps? Cool. Uh, nope. Never again. Uh, no. Is he innocent? Oh, that's cool. Nah. Okay. I have so met. I hate <laughs> this movie's ending is the worst thing I've ever fucking seen in my entire life. And I want my hour and a half back because I'm so offended. I know that sounds really dramatic, but I was very upset. Like, Okay, we're just going to reveal that he molested her. And then just, like, not address it ever again. <laughs> yeah. Listen, if you can see her reaction. I, I can't vocalize to you how mad I am about this. Like, and then you have 
him go and like have her in this like tiny little girl's outfit and get like licked all over and then all of a sudden he goes from being this like potentially sympathetic character to this really creepy one and it is really disgusting and there's just absolutely no like critical thinking about the fact that she was molested by this man like for her entire childhood and then they just don't address that at all and it's very disturbing (laughs) i don't it really freaked me out. I don't know why, but like it was very bad. <laughs> you know, and, and this is another one of those instances where there's an interesting kernel that is not explored. Um, this idea that the Freddy Krueger could be innocent. First of all, they introduced that at like the midpoint of the film. But up until that point, he is obviously showing himself to be that molester. He licks, he fucking licks her. He in the in the very opening bit of the movie, he's licking her. He's calling her his her favorite his favorite one. Like this is obviously a dude that has some sexual hangups and some sexual issues that are not that. It's obviously he's not a good guy. He's not someone that was killed innocently and then is now seeking revenge he is sexually harassing her evoking sexual violence on her and chris from the very opening there is no way this guy is innocent and so the fact that we are going to try to have this guy be a creepo and then try to walk it back like oh maybe we were just five years old and we just sort of blah 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 blah. no but also like that's really fucked up to be like kids are lying when those things happen to them you know what i mean like cool so you're gonna make kids feel terrible and guilty for not coming like for something that they like that was just but also where did the knife like i where did the knife hand come from in this lore there was no lore behind it he just had a knife hand i don't know why that that also bothered me but that whole the whole construction of freddy krueger in this movie is absolutely fucking infuriating and the handling Mm -hmm. of a woman being molested as a child and just like throwing that to the side as like fodder and having these horrible pictures of polaroids of her in a box Rooney Mara cannot act in this movie and is like makes it even worse that she's like not selling this at all she doesn't seem to be want to even be in this movie no oh Which, her outfits honey I don't really blame her <laughs> looking back on it's it but so, like Terry it's so bad they tried so hard to make those homages, like those direct homages to the original okay. movie. It was so sad. Like but we but- have talked about these before, where it's like if you were going to recreate iconic moments, you would need to do it better than the original. The fucking when he comes through the wall. Oh, it's so bad. The and cool, it looks cool- so good in the lo-fi version back in 1982. I did like the blood hallway. That was pretty cool. That was the best moment of the movie. I wish that was the whole movie. Yeah. Because I feel like they they did not do enough with the nightmare stuff to me. You know what I mean? I think they use the nightmares too much for context and not actually creating these terrifying nightmarish zones, which is what like their original ones I felt like did a really good job of actually making nightmares. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it was more it was too much for storytelling. So it didn't feel like as nightmare to me. Like, and it couldn't, the imagery that they could have utilized, like in the beginning with the meat and with the blood hallway at the end, but they don't really have that connective tissue. No. And everything is like overly produced to uh, such a sheen to it that I felt like I could eat in that boiler room and be okay. Like it just, (laughs) it did not, it did not look creepy. I hated the moment when Chris is in classroom and then everything shatters into ash. This ain't fucking Silent Hill. Why are we doing this? And it's it's so like it's it's so the antithesis of what that original 
Nightmare on Elm Street was, where you didn't quite know, walking from scene to scene, whether they were in the real world or the nightmare. There were moments where you would be in a normal place, you'd turn the corner, you'd be in the boiler room. This is not that. This is, this does not, I, I think what frustrated me, especially watching this now, after we have seen Platinum Dune's other remakes of uh, Friday the 13th and um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is that those two embraced the original ones in terms of what it looked like. Like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was sweaty as fuck. It's You could smell it through the screen. It reminded me of what the original one was trying to go for. Same with the Friday the 13th. It embraced yeah. that sort of vibe of those movies. This one is like, eh. Yep. No. We're not going to do anything. A killer score. I did like the score. I didn't really pay attention. To, I don't remember much about the score about this one. I really paid attention to it this time because like I so this was my first time watching it too. So yeah, I was more focused a lot on the, going the on. fuckery of what's going on on screen. <laughs> Big shout out to the part where she's on the guy's website watching his vlogs, a la like a Japanese techno horror movie mm-hmm. from the early 2000s. It, it was incredible. incredible. That was a good moment. It was a very good moment. It had some interesting moments. Like, that's the thing. Like, the more I think about it, the more, like, there were these really interesting nuggets. But the guy Mm -hmm. who directed it has only done music videos. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, huh. Interesting. Which I I just, like, that's not... In it, in and of itself, just a negative necessarily because I mean that's that's where you know David Fincher came from. Like oh, he yeah. was directing, so like it's not necessarily a slam, but like it also, I think for every David Fincher, unfortunately, I'm sorry Samuel Bayer. There's people like you that just it, are overly producing a slick piece of media that completely yeah. misunderstands what the original one was about. Like you know how to do set pieces, but you don't really know how to do a story. So. uh well, okay. My favorite thing, though, my favorite thing that, again, they stumble over and completely shoot themselves in the foot was I really liked in the very opening where the Kellen Lutz character is like saying that he that that he was until he like had some stuff that was dug up from his past. He didn't see this man. And so this idea in the beginning is introduced that maybe Freddie is sort of like a, a metaphor of their repressed trauma and i was like yeah. that could be an interesting little thing to explore it's particularly with this idea of dreams and nightmares and having that aspect of it because it was that moment when all of a sudden freddie was like re-recreated and that explains why he hasn't shown up in these kids lives since they were five years old it explains why they don't remember anything even though like in the original one the kids you would think would know that there was like a murderer in town and there would be that legacy of it. This sort of explains why that might not be. And I like this idea that is introduced and then summarily ignored about how Freddie could be like a, a metaphor of repressed trauma that I thought was kind of a cool thing. Like you said, there's kernels of something really cool and they just uh, didn't execute. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it was all like proof of concept. <laughs> I feel like a proof of concept movie rather than like an actual nightmare on Elm Street movie. But anyway, yeah. No, yeah. thank you. No. And, you know, I was wondering what your reaction was going to be to this, because, like, I was thinking, OK, so you have you have not seen it. You've spent this entire time since it's been released of everyone saying how terrible it is. So it's sort of like the antithesis of, like, overhyping a film and then you watch it. And it's like, eh, that's OK. Whereas, like, everyone is like, this movie is the worst. This movie is the worst. So I was like, ooh, what's going to be the reaction if you go into it expecting the worst? And 
I was like, there's no way. It's, 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 I was like, there's no way it's as bad as people say it is. I was wrong. <laughs> it's as bad as people say it is. It really is. It's like embarrassing. Yeah. Because the first one, like the, those fucking movies are so good. Like mm. even the worst ones are good. And this is just like, you just missed the whole vibe. How did you miss the vibe so hard? Like Jackie or Haley, love you, buddy. But you weren't a good, you're not really a good Freddy. No. Like he just was kind of stiff. He didn't have that kind of creepy charisma. He just kind of freaked me out. Like he was just like a creepy old dude. Like it just was not, it was just gross. But like not in like a fun way. And like a, I really want this to stop kind of way. <laughs> well, now I've seen it and I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I do drugs and, like, my friends want to watch it. I'll just, like, sit there high and just laugh relentlessly at it. Which honestly sounds... That sounds okay. I'll do that. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. So. That's A Nightmare on Elm Street from 2010. What? We're going to have an upswing next week. Yes. I'm very excited. Terry, what are we watching for next week's Little Cuts? For next week's Little Cuts, we are watching 2010's The Crazies, which... I haven't seen since the theaters, but I remember really enjoying. I also haven't seen it since the theater, and I also really remember enjoying it. I remember being pretty freaking scared when I was watching it. So I'm super stoked to watch it. I think this was the first movie that introduced me to Timothy Oliphant Mm. and Radha Mitchell. Mm. A.K.A. two very hot people that mm-hmm. are formative to my teenage sexuality. <laughs> Woo! Yes. Anyway, and Timothy Oliphant was uh, was for me too back in in Go in 1999. That was uh, him in a him shirtless with a Santa hat. I mean, there's no, nothing more iconic. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so okay but who are we talking uh, to on monday so on monday we are talking to rachel reeves and we are talking about the x-files episode so we are talking another uh, X-Files episode, which is really cool. It's kind of fun to watch, like sprinkle some of these in. And this one's a very weird choice. This is a very <laughs> weird choice, but it's really fun to talk about because it's such a weird choice. Because Rachel a has great story. such a specific story. It's so fun. So get ready. And it's also two queer teenage girls with psychic powers, which is also pretty like, you Love can't it. go wrong with that. Um, but yeah. So, listeners, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch a film that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for movies for us to talk about? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Treadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And we have gotten at least one new review in, so that was really awesome. So thank you for that. Please keep them coming because it really does help us out. So review, rate, subscribe. And if you are on Apple, make sure that you are that your episodes are downloading because there is an issue with their latest update on iOS that is causing episodes to not download. So make sure that they're downloading for us, please, and thank you. Please and thank you. We appreciate you. 
Uh, we also appreciate Eric Power for our artwork. <laughs> we also appreciate Sean Keller for our music. <laughs> and we also, again, appreciate all of you for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. <laughs> Until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.